0: Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com give. Would you open your Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew, I mean Luke, sorry, chapter 7, beginning with verse 36. Luke 7, beginning with verse 36. This is the word of God, and it is eternally true. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him, that would be Jesus, to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You've judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. Then he said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. As I was preparing to preach, this text I thought of a woman in our midst who came from a life of great sin and who just absolutely loved this this account of this woman. I don't know that she ever told me it was her favorite text of scripture but it sort of seemed like that and after some years of this woman being in our church, the elders went to her and told her that she needed to to join the church. And she didn't do it. And there were reasons that the elders specifically went to her and said this to her. Normally, the elders don't sit in elders' meetings discussing who is and isn't a member of the church. That's not something that we like to talk about, that we think about. But in this case, there were reasons why This woman was vulnerable because she had not joined the church, you know. So they went to her and told her. And we sent our most tender and meek and humble elders to say this. I didn't go, right? And uh, that was the end of that. We weren't expecting instant action on her part. But then, I think it was maybe even two years later, I got thinking about her, I really loved her, and I realized that she had never done what the elders told her to do. (laughs) You know? Now remember, we don't normally sit around talking about who's a member of the church and who isn't, don't worry about it, but in this case there were real vulnerabilities that she had if she didn't join the church. And so I distinctly remember it was a Good Friday, and I went up to her after the service, and I said to her, I said, uh, Why didn't you do what the elders told you to do? Now, I had a good relationship with her, you know, I wasn't looking to grind an axe, you know. I just, Why didn't, you know, it just all of a sudden came, Why didn't? And she looked at me, and she said, there's some of the elders that I don't respect. Well, I mean, who can blame her? Honestly. There's an author I love, and one of the reasons I love him is he is so perceptive of the sin of man, and especially of his own sin. And one of the essays that he's written that I love is where he talks about um, the sin of his, of his nation, and how it makes his nation—he doesn't say this, but it's, it's like he says— You know, we groan under what we've done. And specifically there, I think he's talking about what they did in South Africa. Um, And so if somebody says that there are some of the elders they don't respect, I'm immediately knowing that it's me, because like this author, I don't, I groan about myself. If somebody says they don't respect me, I'm like, duh. Do you know what that means? That means do you think you said something? In other words, yes, you're right. Any idiot knows you're right, right? But it wasn't me. You know how people are sophisticated when they flatter you. Part of the flattery is that, you know, present company excluded, you know, other people, you know other people have problems other people aren't respectable so I asked who wasn't respectable and she told me a couple of names and let me tell you I got angry because here I had this woman who had been treated tenderly for years had been loved had been embraced and who the elders had gone to with meekness and humility and had said, we think you need, for the sake of your protection, to join the church. And she hadn't done it. You know, some of you men who are fathers, you know how you feel when your children don't obey your wife. (laughs) There are few things that... Make steam come out of the ears of good fathers more than disrespect on the part of their children toward their mother. Hey, 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 can I get an amen? Man, you ever disrespect your mother in front of me in this church, and I'm going to tell you both your mother and you are going to wish you hadn't done that. <laughs> your mother's going to say, I can handle it myself, and I'm like, nope, I'll handle this. Thanks. <laughs> So you have a woman who is defying the elders and judging them in a church. What do you do? What do you do? Does she have good reasons? Well, I asked her reasons, and actually they weren't good at all. (laughs) You know, I could tell them to you, but I'll spare you the details, but they were superficial judgments. They were not... It wasn't that somebody had committed adultery or was a secret drunk. Trust me. And I'm sorry to say that that woman ended up leaving the church and lying about why she was leaving, lying through her teeth about why she was leaving. And I'm guessing that if you went to her, she would still tell you that this is her favorite text in all of Scripture. She just loves the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair because she was a sinner. But of course then you go and you ask yourself, what was the sin of this woman? And of course All of us, when we look at this account, we put ourselves, we judge ourselves improperly, and we put ourselves in the woman that washes Jesus' feet with her hair. And we're all absolutely certain that if we had been that woman, we would have been in Simon's house at Jesus' feet, kissing his feet, pouring perfume on him, letting our hair down and washing his feet with our hair. And if we had been sitting at the table, we would have been commending her. And when it got time to get up and leave, as the meal was drawing to a conclusion and the talk was over, we would have been hanging with the woman and not with Simon, the host. We would identify with the woman. We would love the woman. We would ask the woman if we could go home to her house with her. Or we would at least walk her to her house our identity would be completely with that woman. How could any Christian say that they would not have approved of what she did? And so everybody approves of what that woman did. And then when other people that we are with in the pew, in the seats, in the sanctuary, in our worship at home, when we pray as a small group, when other people worship God, We judge them and we condemn them. And other people in the group who don't condemn them, who act as if their offering is pleasing to God, we judge as not having discernment, you know? Well, the reason you're accepting that prayer is because you don't have any discernment, you know? Which is exactly what Simon was doing. If he were a prophet, he would not let her do this because he'd know what kind of woman she is. After all, what are prophets supposed to have but discernment? And so, you know, I'm afraid that this woman that defied our elders' board and then lied about it and then took her family out continues to believe, as we believe, that we are the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair and with her tears and that poured perfume on him. Every single one of us is convinced that either we would have been the woman or we certainly would have been approving of her. And meanwhile, we condemn those who love Jesus. And we have no zeal in our worship. We can't conceive of being moved to tears in worship, raising our hands in worship, kneeling in worship. We can't conceive of wailing or of cheering. We can't conceive of growing our hair long, let alone letting it out in public, let alone washing Jesus' feet with it. I mean I mean okay, it's 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 difficult, but can we talk for a second about women's hair? Okay? Think about how many women today will be hanged if they have long hair. Why? Is it because they, they want to be feminine? Is that why? Women cut their hair short because they want to be feminine? Is that why? You know, you never think about this, but think about this woman. Think about how many women have been at the center of sexual sin. Now, I do all of you know what sexual sin is. Everybody know what sexual sin is. Think of how many women have been at the center of sexual sin of one form or another. It could have been their dad. It could have been their brother. It could have been their uncle. It could have been their teacher. It could have been Their boyfriend. It could have been their husband. It could have been another woman. How many women have been at the center of sexual sin, and their response to having been at the center of sexual sin is what? Their response is to eviscerate themselves of femininity. They're done with femininity. Y'all with me now. And there are various ways you can be done with femininity. One real good way is to cut your hair real short, right? Right? To be butch. People, are you with me? I mean, do do you live in the same world I live in? Hey, hey. Huh? 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 No, no, you don't. Well, I don't know how to talk to you then. I think if I was a comedian, you'd all be laughing, but because I'm a pastor, you're just scared, right? Because it really matters here. You can't just laugh it off, right? Okay, now listen to me. This woman had spent her life at the center of sexual sin. Do you understand me? And this woman is doing what? This woman is using the tools of her trade, are you with me, to love Jesus? She's not removing her femininity. (laughs) Are you with me? She hasn't cut her hair short. She still has her perfume. And she loves Jesus with the very things that had been the occasion of sin in her life. She gave Jesus what she had to give. (laughs) And now you begin to enter into Simon. I mean, think of all the superior reasons Simon had to condemn this woman, you know? This is so unseemly. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. It's awful, 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 awful. Glad I wasn't there. I mean, it's so unseemly, it's so intimate. It's more intimate than wedding night. It's her hair, right? That's bad enough. Letting it down. Somebody's not just. I mean. The hair's down, and the hair's being used by hands to wash feet. And then there's the tears. And man, if there's one thing that just drives me crazy, it's a woman's tears. It's the most horrible thing on the face of the earth. (laughs) Because there's there's no weapon you can use against it. It's like the only thing in the world, including nuclear bombs, that the only proper response is unconditional surrender. (laughs) You know? (laughs) So there's the hair, and then there's the tears, and then the perfume. What does perfume say of a woman like that? What does perfume say? And then finally, are you with me? We've got the kissing. And the kissing is on the feet. We've got the kissing on the feet, the hair on the feet, the perfume on the head, and the tears on the feet. And this is a woman that there's no question that she was known in that community for sexual sin. And let me tell you something. Simon, what that man was thinking was this is sexual. And Jesus would not let her do this if he knew what kind of woman she is. And if it isn't sexual, everybody here thinks it's sexual because of the kind of woman she is. As a matter of fact, this woman is so sexual that she can't do anything without being sexual. If she came into church, people would probably accuse her of being sexual in worship. As a matter of fact, this was church. Jesus was there. She was worshiping him. And Simon was completely, completely condemning. He was sitting there saying, if this man were a prophet, so what he's really saying is prophets are supposed to have discernment. And if he were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman she is, and he would not allow this to be going on. And so Simon wasn't just judging the woman and her love. He was judging Jesus Christ. Now about this point, you're going to be in danger of learning the lesson that is the wrong lesson, which is that judgment is always wrong. Jesus says judge not lest you be judged. And so if Simon had just kept himself from making judgments, then everything would have been okay. Jesus would have been worshiped and loved and adored. The woman would have been safe in that house and Simon wouldn't have gotten rebuked. The problem was Simon was making judgments, right? That's the problem. So let me take you to where it says judge not lest you be judged and read what it says in context. This is found in Matthew 7. And there we see Jesus saying this about judgment. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. All right, King James, judge not lest you be judged. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Does Simon get judged? Huh? Huh? Yep, you heard the text. Simon, he gets judged. Right, so here we have it. Do not judge, so that you will not be Simon. You didn't. You shouldn't have judged, or you wouldn't have gotten. If you hadn't, then you wouldn't. All right. Then Jesus goes in. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. Is that what happened to Simon? Absolutely. The same way he was judging that woman, and Jesus was the way Jesus judged that man. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Did he get measured? He did get measured. Did he get, found, did he get found to be lacking? You bet he did, because Jesus ended up telling a story and then saying, the one who's forgiven little. Is there anybody on earth who has ever been forgiven little by God? No. There's never been a living, breathing human being who's been forgiven little by God. Never. Not you, not me, no one. So Simon ended up being judged, not for being forgiven little, but for not being forgiven at all. Jesus is Jesus is just condemning Simon. Do not judge so that you will not be judged, for in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. That's what happened to Simon. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? If there was ever a case of this, it's Simon talking to Jesus. He's judging Jesus. Jesus has a speck in his eye. He doesn't know what kind of woman he wouldn't Jesus says, Simon, you don't know the forgiveness of God. Who has a speck and who has the log? Jesus didn't even have a speck. Jesus was righteous. Simon's judgment about the woman was wrong, and therefore he had no basis to judge Jesus. But oh man, Simon ended up getting his comeuppance. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And then the next verse, as Jesus is preaching, is, do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. Okay, judge not lest ye be judged, but then don't you see how immediately what follows is Jesus is just intensely judging those who judge. Do you see this? And then he's saying to everyone, don't give your pearls to swine. In other words, he's calling you to spend your life making a decision about who are pigs, right? Right? You can't obey him without making judgment about who's pigs, right? Pigs is pigs. It's very, very important that you not do the typical postmodern millennial thing of learning the lesson from this account of the woman and Simon that we shouldn't judge. You just can't take that route. The problem is not that Simon or anyone else makes judgments. The problem is that the judgments are false. That's the problem. Now, what is it that makes Simon make a false judgment about both the woman and about Jesus? What is it? And you know, there's only one person in the world that doesn't know what it was that made him make a false judgment. (laughs) Right? You all with me? There's only one person who doesn't know why Simon made the false judgment about the woman and about Jesus. And that person is Simon. Because Simon went around the world with this honking big red nose blinking with LED lights coming out of the side of his head pointing at his blinking nose saying pride, 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 proud, 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 proud. Pride. Pride, 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 Pride. Right? Was there anybody in that room that didn't know about Simon's pride? Anybody? Right? I mean, which is more painful, the woman's love or Simon's pride? You know, it's a little bit of a toss-up, isn't it? Right? Are you with me? Oh, you guys. All right. Do you like men like Simon? Come on, you can talk. Do you like men like Simon? Do you like yourself? Are you like Simon? How many of you are like Simon? So what do we do about it? Honestly, what do we do about it? Well, here's what Jesus does with Simon. Jesus tells the story, right? He tells the story about a guy that has two debtors, one owes him 50 denarii and one owes him 500. And in this guy's graciousness, he forgives them both. And Jesus says, okay, Simon, who loves more? The 50 or the 500 denarii guy? And do you notice what Simon says at that point? Simon says, the 500 denarii guy, the guy that that was forgiven more. Is that what Simon says? Huh? No, if you said yes, you're wrong. That's right. That's right. Did you hear what was said? He doesn't say the guy that, that was forgiven more. He says what? Come on. <laughs> oh, man. What a slime ball. Honestly, just a measly slime ball. Simon knows the noose is tightening around his neck. He knows that he thought he was making the judgments, but it turned out somebody else was making the judgments. He finds out that the man that he's accusing of not being discerning knew the secret thoughts of his heart. That's how bad a prophet Jesus is. (laughs) And now the noose is tightening. He sees this story. He knows where it's headed. After all, he spent his life learning how to make good judgments and he knows that Jesus is gunning for him. He says, I suppose, in other words, I am non-committal in this exchange of meaning, this narrative that you're creating. I will observe it, but I'll be hanged if I'm going to tighten the noose for you. I suppose, I suppose, one would suppose, you know, academic speak, you know, one might think, might one not think, if one were inclined to be the sort of one that I suppose I wonder, I suggest one wonders, doesn't one? I suppose and you guys There's a rule in writing, and a rule in preaching and teaching, and that rule is don't ever sew on your point with an iron thread. Always leave some work for your reader to do. And Jesus proceeds to sew it on with an iron thread. Here's what Jesus does. He says, I suppose... And Jesus says, you have judged correctly. Finally, Simon comes up with a correct judgment. He's noncommittal, but the judgment's right. Jesus says, you've judged correctly. Turning toward the woman. Now, he could have just kept looking at Simon, you know. Even that would have been less sewing it on with an iron thread. But no, he brings the woman, visibly brings her into this rebuke turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Did Simon see the woman? He didn't see her. What did Simon see? Right? All Simon could see was himself. He knew he was uncomfortable with what was going on here, and he made judgments that allowed him to externalize and objectify it, such that he could make a judgment, and then you're done with it. It's all all clean. We're done. You know? It's all over. Jesus says, do you see this woman? And that's the last thing in the world Simon wants to do is see that woman. He done seen enough. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. I mean this is the most, the most basic act of hospitality that you could have is washing feet. They're walking in dirt roads where the sewage and the water and everything run. The animal sewage, the human sewage, you've been in third world countries. You never get away from the smell of it. You wash their feet. But when he came in Simon's house, maybe Simon was poor. Is that Why would you be a Pharisee if you're poor? The whole point of being a Pharisee is to have money. So it wasn't a lack of water. It wasn't a lack of... of, It was just simple impoliteness, inhospitality, curlishness. It was just gross. Simon was a gross, judgmental man. He would not even wash the feet of Jesus when he came into his house. You gave me no water from my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. (laughs) Like (sighs) Simon, do you see this woman? (laughs) When I came in your house, did it? Did it? Did it? She, her hair, her tears. Can you imagine being Simon at this point? You know, at this point, I. I'd like to think I would rather be the woman than Simon, you know. You gave me no kiss. Again, a kiss was like a handshake. It was just the basic, go to the front door, open it up, you wash the feet, you give them a kiss. It's not erotic, okay? It's just like, you know, on both sides of the head. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Now again, I want to point out two things about this end of what Jesus says. Number one, I want to point out to you, there is no person who has been forgiven little and loves little don't think you can sneak into the kingdom of God by loving little because you've been forgiven little. If you think you've been forgiven little, you're blind. Remember Jesus saying, the man that says he sees is still blind. Jesus said he didn't come for the righteous, but for sinners. And you know doggone well what that means is there there ain't no righteous, no not one. And so if you think you've been forgiven little and so it's okay for you to have no love and no zeal and no I'm sorry, but I'm going to say it two, two times running, no passion. If you think you can be passionless, cold, antiseptic, sterile, surgical, removed, and that God will accept your worship, you have absolutely no clue of who you are or who God is. None. And so you might as well go into a church that gets you to light candles and say masses and stuff like that so that you can at least do good works and maybe have a hope of, of God. But if you're someone who believes that there is nothing that can pacify the wrath of God against you except the blood of Jesus, don't you be going to God the Father and telling him that you have a small amount of need for the blood of Jesus Christ. And that the forgiveness you need is a little bit. And that if he gives you the little bit of forgiveness you need, then you will you will have a little bit of love and 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 you will be you will be content to have a sort of middling kind of existence as a Christian where you don't feel passion, you don't have zeal, and and you sit around and you judge other people because really those people they need, they need the blood of Jesus. And this woman, she needed it, you know. Why he didn't want to give it to her, I don't know. But she did need it, that woman. Heaven knows she needed it, right? But he didn't need it, you know. Having Jesus into his home was a bit of a sort of academic enterprise. You know? It was a local celebrity for a time, doing some things that were pretty incredible, you know, and Might be curious to have him into my house and have him for dinner and just watch. (laughs) And all of a sudden, what happens? He thought he had the meat for that dinner. Turns out he was was the meat. We're not reading about any roast (laughs) except Simon. Listen, Jesus is not teaching us that it's okay if we have a little bit of love as long as we have a little bit of sin. You don't have a little bit of sin. And if you think you have a little bit of sin, you don't know God. Because the holiness of God is is consuming. It's consuming. Even the angels that come from his presence... When they appear to any man, that man says, Whoa, I am undone. He falls on his face. He trembles with fear. Simply because Moses reflected in his face the holiness of God, the Israelites could not bear the sight of Moses. There is no such thing as somebody who's been forgiven little. there's absolutely no such thing. If you know God, you know his truthfulness, you know his purity, you know his omniscience. That you, there's no place to hide. you can't go down to the bottom of cash 's ledge and escape him. You know that he is absolutely dependable. You know that he doesn't change. You know every one of his character traits, perfections, it's given in the Ten Commandments, which are simply God's character traits, his perfections. And then you begin to study, like say for instance, God cannot lie, right? Just, let's just take the issue of lie. I was talking recently to a couple of people in this church and I said to them, you lied. And, oh, I'm telling you, it was like the earth had fallen in. You know, how could you accuse me of lying? And I said, well, you know, you didn't give me $10 and then tell me you've just given me 20 <laughs> And that's like, we have cultivated such a low knowledge of our sin that when somebody says lie, we think that means that we're giving them $10 and telling them it's $20. do not you realize how you lie? Don't you realize you are a liar? That's who you are. You're a liar. Don't accuse your husband of being a liar. You're a liar. It's like this with us where we look at other people and we have 20-20 vision about their sin and how how horrible it is. And then when it comes to our sins, our judgments are false. We cut ourselves slack. We say we're a victim. We say that we didn't mean to lie. And so first, I'm not a liar. And then, well, but I didn't mean to lie. Unintentional lying, right? You know, unintentional lying isn't lying because the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Or no, that's that doesn't work, does it? Okay. Unintentional lies aren't lies because the road to heaven is paved with good intentions. Calvin on this says no one, notice the word no one examines his own wretched condition no one examines his own wretched condition why did Simon think that he could judge this woman in Jesus Simon did not know himself, he did not know his wretched condition If Simon had known his wretched condition, what would Simon have done? Simon would have had a heart of gratitude and love for the sinful woman because she had a gift to do what he wanted to do but couldn't do, number one, because he's a man. Aren't women able to do things men aren't able to do? Like, for instance, wash your feet with their hair. Aren't women allowed to kiss when nobody else is? Aren't women allowed to cry when no? Simon should have been saying, everywhere I go the rest of my life, I'm going to tell the story of this woman's love for my Savior. But until Simon was trying to shut it down, and it was because he didn't know himself. He did not know how much he had been forgiven, and he didn't love much. In fact, you do wonder if he loved at all. Listen, you wanna know how not to be Simon? It's simple. It's very simple. What you have to do is you have to ask God to give you a heart of gratitude. That's it. And you look at me and you say, well, gratitude for what? What am I supposed to be thankful for? And I say, for, for the debt that you have been forgiven. And you say, oh, no, 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 no. I want to think about the debt that my husband has been forgiven. <laughs> I want to think about the debt that my nasty father has been forgiven. I say, okay, fine. Spend the rest of your life making judgments. Knock yourself out and i'm telling you some of you uh, 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 uh. you know that the good shepherd knows his sheep right right y'all you, you know this it's what jesus said and you know he was telling me what kind of a shepherd i'm supposed to be right and you know that the sheep know his voice and you know my voice right i know you and the 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 nasty if there were only men here, I would call it a you know whating contest. Eh, mm, men, you know what I'm making allusion to? You know? That contest, some of you are masters at it. Some of you that's how you raise your children. Some of you, that's how you raise your sons. Some of you, your son's entire life in your home is a you know what in contest between the old man and you. You're constantly taking opportunities to show your superiority to your children. That you're a bad or you-know-what than they are. And that they'll never be able to outwork you, never be able to outthink you, never be able to outnegotiate you. They might as well just shoot themselves. And so guess what? Would you believe it? They do. But nothing quick where you can mourn their death and put them in the ground and forget them. They just shoot themselves and 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 shoot themselves. And And your wife cries and cries and cries. And you never stop making judgments. Every single conversation you have with somebody else is your judgment of them being inferior to you. There's no meaning exchange you have without the other person seeing your nose blinking and your LED lights going pride, 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 and you're the only person that can't see it. And what you need to do is you need to ask God to show you your sin. Because if you don't see your sin, you will not have gratitude. But once you begin to see your sin, not your husband's sin, not your son's sin, not your pastor's sin, not your elder's sin, once you begin to see your sin, guess what? Guess what? Everybody who is godly will love you. Everywhere you go, people will want you as their friend. They'll love you. You imagine how many of us would want to spend a minute with Simon. Huh? 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 How many of you would like to spend one minute with the woman? Oh, for heaven's sake, she's washing his feet with her hair, tears, kissing them, and you can't even raise your hands. It's pathetic, you people. Now I'm going to ask it again. I mean, you have to raise your hands this time because other people are looking at you. How many of you would like to spend a minute with the woman? A, a minute. I'd like to spend more than a minute. I'd like my daughters to be able to cry and hug her. I'd like my grandchildren to be able to wash her feet with their hair. I'd like to have her... I'd like... I'd like to have her be the one that meets me at heaven. And to be my advocate with God. Well, no, I have Jesus. I have Jesus. That's the second thing I want to say. Don't make the mistake of thinking that this story teaches you that if you will simply cry and wash Jesus' feet with your hair and kiss his feet and pour perfume on him, that then God will forgive you. This is not an account of this woman being forgiven because she loved much. (laughs) Okay, you can make that mistake. Everybody see how easy it would be to make that mistake. She loved much because she had been forgiven much. This woman was a sinner, and she had seen the forgiveness of God and the mercy of God in Jesus Christ, and so she loved the Dickens out of him because she knew she was forgiven. You see, all roads lead to sin. Our privilege is to know our sin. And the minute we know our sin, to take it to Jesus... And Jesus says those who come to him, he'll never cast them out. And once he doesn't cast us out, when we take our sin to him, I mean really our sin, not what we take to the pastor, but our real sin, once we take it to him and he doesn't cast us out, we will love as she loved. We'll love in different ways because some of us don't have long hair and some of us aren't women. But whatever way we do, I guarantee you, it will be unseemly. Do you understand what I'm saying? It will be embarrassing. It will be unbelievably intimate. It 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 will be obviously not hypocritical. Obviously not fake. And there will be many things we will do in our lives that the only thing that possibly explains it is that we're living for heaven and not for earth. Right? Because why? Well, this woman, remember what Jesus said? said, he said, He said to Simon, you didn't kiss me when I came in, right? And then do you remember what he said? He said, since I came into your home, she hasn't stopped kissing me. In other words, this had been going on a really long time. And it was like, it was like really a long time that it had gone on and on and on and on. This woman, this gloriously beautiful sister in Christ, knew precisely who Simon was and what the thoughts would be before she ever went in that house to do what she did. And knowing it, she set her face like Flint, and she went in and she did it and when jesus got there she didn't stop kissing him <laughs> and then she 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 added she added the perfume you know and then she added the tears and then she added the hair and then it just went on and on and on and on and on it was like dumping detergent in a fountain it was like you know, and she knew Simon. She knew she was breaking every single rule of polite society. And that's the way you're gonna be when you see your sin. And when you're accepted by your Savior. You break all the rules. That's what Christians always do, they break the rules. And they know damn well what other people are thinking of them when they break the rules but they don't care because they love Jesus. That's it, they love Jesus. Listen. Couple stories and I'll stop. A number of years ago I was, and I'm gonna tell you it was another church so that you don't judge harshly our elders. I was the pastor of another church and I've told, I've told this story before. We had communion one Sunday, and during communion, there was a man who was tormented by his own sin, a father and a husband, in that church in his 30s. And as we serve communion in this very proper church filled with a bunch of academics and rich people, this man started wailing out loud He wailed, crying, mourning. We had an elders meeting that week. You know what happened in the elders meeting? I got called on the carpet because a man had been crying during communion. And to say I was called on the carpet was kind of a, a nice way of putting it. It was my fault. Don't be mistaken about that you know and i just sat there and i was just so utterly transfixed so so flabbergasted at the horror of elders being angry that somebody had cried during a worship service that i just didn't say anything i just it was like it was so awful but afterwards i thought what on earth was i supposed to do I'm presiding over the Lord's table, and some guy is off. It would have been like from here to the wall crying. Hey, shut up. <laughs> you know? Piped out over there. Enough of this grief stuff. Your sin isn't so bad. Stop crying. You know? But if somebody cried during our worship service, isn't that how we'd respond? Why doesn't the pastor shut them up? They're making a great show of their repentance. That's wrong. If, if the pastor was a prophet, he'd know what kind of man that is and why he shouldn't be making so much out of his repentance. And furthermore, that man's repentance is fake. He should shut up. People should deal with their spiritual angst and, 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 and grief quietly. They shouldn't make a show of it if they make a show of it, it's fake. Right, right, right? Are you all with me? Right, right? So make sure, all of you, that you never show anybody anything in this church. Don't ever cry. Don't ever laugh. Don't ever say amen. Don't ever kneel. Don't ever stand. Don't ever lift your hands. For heaven's sakes, don't do that. Because you wouldn't believe all the opportunities and external demonstrations for hypocrisy. And the one thing you must never do is be guilty of hypocrisy. If you can't find in your heart a spontaneous combustion of whatever you're about to do that's so intensely spontaneous that you don't even think what you're going to do before you do it, it's just spontaneous combustion. You know, boom! Whoa! What's that doing up there? (laughs) Listen, it was evil, it was evil, it was evil that they oppressed that man for grieving over his sin. You must never allow the judgmental, nasty, censorious, proud people around you to ruin your love for Jesus and your expression of it. Because let me tell you, when you get to heaven, ain't none of those people going to be there. And so you might as well tune your lips here at the door that what you're to do there, you do here before. Okay? And number two. If you're somebody who thinks you have God's gift of discernment, such that you're the perfect gatekeeper of what is true and false worship, and if you live your life as a you know what contest with other people to show how superior your judgments are, I don't know what to say. There's a story I'd like to tell right now. I told it in the first service, but I'm not going to tell it in this service because I'm absolutely certain that one man would be livid. Don't you dare squelch a woman or a man in their worship with your censorious spirit. Don't you dare do it. This place is going to be safe for women with their hair down. And for men with their hands up because otherwise there's no true worship true worship is unseemly and humbling and we have enough reformed churches that are proud eh? but there has to be some place that at least knows the right direction to fail in and so let's try to fail in the right direction I will fail you will fail, but this woman is our goal, not Simon. Huh? Okay? Let's, let's, let's have her be our model of our love of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, minister to us now through Psalm 4. Would you please, Father, allow our hearts to be caught up with this woman and to forget Simon. Father, remove... Simon from our midst, or change his heart, Father, so that we might be able to worship you without fear. And we pray, Lord, that we will have our eyes fixed on Jesus, and that you will say to us, as you said to this woman, that our sins, awful though they are, are forgiven. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.